Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Chris, uh, one of the elders here at Life Community Church. And as Pastor Brandon uh, just noted, um, you know, there are lots of different opportunities this time of year uh, coming into Christmas for us to be involved, right? We have uh, abilities to be involved with our time, be involved to uh, invest our money in different things, uh, all types of things uh, coming our way over the next few weeks as we reach the end of the year. And we know that uh, a lot of different people give for different reasons at different times of year. And uh, as the year end approaches, uh, some people make choices to give uh, more and above than they normally do or uh, just for different reasons. And so uh, certain years, you know, we as a church have made decisions to, you know, kind of put together maybe a particular campaign or initiative or something that we're kind of, you know, going to kind of give year end giving towards. And this year with so much growth and so much happening here at uh, Life Community Church, uh, we really couldn't put our thumb or our finger on one thing. And so just want to make a general invitation that as, as we as the church who, who call Life Community Church our home approach the year end, uh, we have so much coming our way. You know, we're praying that God will do in 2023. That is you consider given that you would just consider given right here uh, to the church. So when all those different needs come our way from different families who have needs, for us as a church have needs, uh, that we'd be able to meet those needs uh, right here uh, from our church. So as we look at 2023 and this year and ahead, I just uh, encourage you uh, to invest right here uh, at our home church. Uh, meanwhile, we get a word from Matt Williams this morning. And he is going to be in the book of Psalms. So I'd encourage you to get out or get in the app or get on your phone and go to Psalms 84. We're going to start in Psalm 84, verses 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And then the second psalm we're going to uh, work through this one is Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Chris. Good morning. Well, as we get into God's word, let's uh, make sure that we hear his voice. Let's go to him in prayer. Jesus, we take a minute just to calm ourselves, to focus on the fact that wherever two or more are gathered in your name, you're here in a special and very present way. We invite your spirit now to do your work in our heads and most importantly in our hearts to lean into your goodness, your grace, your power, your presence, your purpose as we hear your word, Lord Jesus. Let it go deep and change us. In your precious name, amen. 
I want you to go back in time to about 1999. Uh, my wife, Joni, was doing really well as a real estate broker. And I was working as a commercial producer in, with the Fox affiliate in Portland, Oregon. Our careers were tracking upward. Things were looking golden. Our uh, family was growing. It included our three kids, all in their teenage years. And you would think that at that time, Joni and I would be well, happy, looking forward to things ahead. And it's not that we were unhappy. We were just becoming more and more concerned about the influence of the big city on our family, our kids, even our marriage in certain places. Well, in the midst of all that, one day, my mom called. She lived in a little town called Paso Robles. Maybe you've heard of it. And she told us that she and her husband were going to be downsizing their home from uh, out at Lake Nasimino and moving into town. Well, after that phone call, we began to think of what would it be like to live in Paso Robles, you know, maybe buy their home and move down there, you know, see the sun again. We were in Portland, Oregon. And we started praying about that, and we had a number of issues or obstacles that we had to overcome. And without giving you the details, I'm going to get you right to the dramatic part. Within 30 days of that phone call, the obstacles that needed to be overcome, conquered. The issues uh, that we needed to face were dealt with. And God gave us this clear signal that we were to, in fact, pack up, both leave full-time jobs and go without jobs in that future, and clearly said, it's time. And I got to tell you, out of all the experiences in life, I, when you hear that clearly from, from God, it is like... Wow, it's exhilarating because inside of that part, it's this mountaintop experience that you'll never forget. It's, you hear so clearly and you know so positively that you move forward with confidence. Have you been there? But as you might imagine, this is not where that story ends. In fact, um, from the mountaintop, we're about to descend into a long, protracted, dark valley. Now, from the mountaintop to the valley is a big journey. And what happened in that valley, I'll say, stay tuned for further announcements on this story. In the meantime, I just want to say, hey, if you're here and here for the first time, I want to add my welcome. Uh, I am Matt Williams, and I direct the groups of the church here. I'm sitting in for, standing in for, uh, Brandon, Pastor Brandon. We've been going through a series titled New Beginnings. We started a couple weeks ago with the new beginning that Abram was promised when he became Abraham and was told he would become the father of a nation and ultimately in the line of bringing Jesus, the Messiah, into the world. And then last week, we learned about the new beginning that can come out of a wilderness experience, like when Jesus was led by the Spirit of God into the desert to be tempted to prepare, to prepare him for the life that he was about to live, which would culminate in his sacrificial death on a cross, bringing salvation to the world. And that new beginning where the Holy Spirit, God incarnate, living inside of us, those who have believed in Jesus. Today, we're going to start looking at a new beginning that comes from, and could come from, either a mountaintop experience or a valley experience. We're going to narrow that a bit one more than the other. You've heard the expressions before. There are times in our life 
when everything is wonderful, right? God's blessing us, and we would say, that's a mountaintop experience. I'm really experiencing God, right? And then there are times when we feel things aren't going well, and you're not sure what to do next. You're wondering how you're going to get through this next situation, and metaphorically, you might call that a valley experience. So when the Bible talks about mountaintop experiences and valley experiences, it talks about them both metaphorically and literally. Uh, For instance, uh, the mountain is usually considered a place of revelation and awe. To have a mountaintop experience in the Bible means you've received some insight, some inspiration from God, kind of like I mentioned in the beginning of our story. And at times in our spiritual journey, we actually and literally go to a mountaintop. Like when we go to Hume Lake, we're going there for this encounter with God to uh, seek insight and connection with God. Look in uh, many, many places in the Bible. You'll find places where Moses went up Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments. Jesus climbed a mountaintop where he was transfigured, revealing himself as God to Peter, James, and John. The mountaintop experience for those of us who love and follow Jesus is where we meet God. And of course, that could happen in many places. And we all love the mountaintop experience, that place where we get to feel God's presence, a place that we clearly hear God's voice and we're able to follow his direction because it is so clear. And then, dun-dun-dun, there's the valley. The valley is quite different. Truth is, and figuratively speaking, we will all spend time in our life in a valley, in many valleys. In the Bible, the valley is where life becomes challenging. It's where battles are fought, where feelings are hurt, attitudes are developed. You might find yourself alone, feeling loss, maybe despair. The valley is the place in life where we struggle every day with fears and hopes and painful experiences. If the mountaintop is where we go to meet God, the valley is where God comes to meet us. I want to take note of this. Mountaintop experiences and valley experiences are temporary. You don't stay on a mountaintop and you don't do long-term camping in the valley. You're supposed to experience one and travel through the other. And here's where I want to narrow down our focus this morning. Because while the mountaintop experience is wonderful, it's full of positive God interactions, it's pretty easy to see how you could have this new beginning from an event like that. So what I want to do today is focus on the valleys of life. It's those places where it's so challenging to see where we're headed, that difficult situation, what's it going to do, and how is that going to produce a new beginning? So what I want to get out of this morning is this little insight from God's word on how to get the most out of the valley experience. And we need this because, as I've said, we will go through a number of valleys in our lifetime. Now, I'm almost come to the place, I'm wondering if I can say this, I've almost come to the place that I look forward to the next valley experience. Almost, right? But here's the thing, what we will find as we go through this valley experience, we are going to find that the promises of God hold true. And we're going to claim those promises as we travel through the valley with him. And it's the valley, that's the place we're going to experience the presence 
and power of God. And God, this is the big one, God always has purpose for the valley in which we travel through with him. Valleys are inevitable. It's not like somewhere down the life, in life you're going to go, I'm just not going to do the valley thing. I don't, I don't really want to do that. I'll just experience mountaintop things and enjoy that. They're not only inevitable, they're also necessary. And that's actually the good news. They're necessary for our growth. Valleys are a part of what God does in our life as we walk with him. And I found that God does great work in me that he only can do in the valley. And you'll notice there's no fruit on the mountaintop, right? I mean, you're not going to be going snow skiing anytime soon, picking an orange off the tree that's next to the black diamond chairlift, right? Where's the fruit? Fruit's in the valley. And as a result, I've learned that whenever God wants to do something great through me, he first has to do something very deep in me. And he most often does that in the valley. The valley is where he stretches us. The valley is the place that when you're in it, it's warfare. It's a place where you find yourself struggling. Rarely is it a hop, skip, and a jump through. If you let it, the valley is the place that will drive you closer to Jesus. And for some of you, it's going to be drive you back to Jesus. Others, closer to Jesus. But for those who welcome the valleys, it's always going to be drawing us closer to Jesus. That's why I say I can almost welcome them. But the valley is there to expose our weaknesses, which makes it uncomfortable and something we may not want to experience. It's where Jesus can strengthen us, and in some cases, the only place he'll get our attention. There have been times when I thought the valley I was going through was actually an act of Satan, only to find that it was the Holy Spirit that led me into the valley, just like Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. We may find ourselves in a valley at any time, anywhere in our life. Valley experiences are usually, biblically speaking, trials or testing of some kind. And here's, I want to say it again, it's part of walking with God. It's not unusual. Fact is, Jesus told us in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world, says Jesus. This trouble, this valley experience sometimes may be just the result of a sin-sick world. Sometimes it's a divine discipline of our loving Father needing to correct a direction that we're headed. Often a valley experience is where God will refine our faith in him. It's going to make us a little more like his son. Or, and this is the voice of experience, it's where we see God eliminate everything we see as important until there is nothing left but him to cling to. And this is where God does something in us that can only happen on the mountaintop. There's a psalm that uh, Chris quoted for us, and I'm going to put it up on the screen, that poetically explains what can happen through a valley experience. And it's put here to encourage us. Psalm 84, verses 5 through 7. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, God, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs, 
Their early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. The encouraging part here, the psalmist says, if you're going to make it through here, first and foremost, we must have our strength in God. But then he goes on to say our faith must be rooted in him because our heart is always traveling the road to Zion. Zion is the place of God. Another way you could read that is as you go through the valley of Baca, in this case, which is desert, thorns, wild animals, could be danger, trouble, hardship, you're going to find God supplies springs to drink from, pools brimming with rainwater. You will be sustained challenge by challenge, or as the psalmist says, strength by strength, and ultimately appear before God in Zion, which is in his presence. The psalmist is basically saying, when we live through a valley experience, we'll be refreshed in it. And if you see it through the eyes of God, at the end, you're going to find that you've traveled through something hard and difficult, and it's drawn you closer to God. Back to that idea that there's always purpose in what we're going through. And as an example, Jesus' life was full of mountaintop experiences and valleys, right? I mean, you've got the very beginning of his ministry, he's baptized. Heavens open up. Holy Spirit descends on him, making it clear to John the Baptist and others, this is the Son of God. Immediately after that mountaintop experience, he's driven by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Definitely a valley experience. Then you've got the fact that Jesus is out healing the sick and the lame and the leprosy. Mountaintop experience only to find that religious leaders who should have recognized him are out there persecuting him. There's that valley experience. Great times of teaching and miracles. And then he goes home, shares it with his hometown, and what? He gets rejected. Valley experience. You've got feeding the 5,000, dealing with the death of John the Baptist. You have the triumphal entry, the crucifixion trial, and on and on it goes. So now the practical stuff. How do we, like Jesus, keep our eye on our loving Father through the tough stuff, the valley experiences? For a little insight here, we are going to turn to a guy who went through a lot of valleys, and he came out the other side, and he came out as one of the most influential God-centered creatures, characters in all of Scripture, the shepherd who became king, who wrote a couple of the psalms that we were singing, David. And we go to one of the most famous psalms, Psalm 23, verses 1 through 6, and let's linger here again. I know we've read it once. Let's think closely here as we hear it again. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The reason this psalm has become so well known is because, well, yeah, it's God's word, that, but also because it's this powerful presentation and representation of the love of God for us throughout the midst of life, 
wherever we are in it. And I chose this psalm because it's personal. That is, we can apply it directly to our lives. There are no references, like when you read the book of Galatians or Ephesians, for instance, he's writing to a church, a group of people. But in this psalm, there are no references to we or us or they, but only my and me and I and you. And it covers all of life, from the green pastures and the still waters mountaintop experience, all the way to the enemies and the adversaries in the valley experiences. Martin Luther said something I love here. The thing that separates Christianity from all other religions is its personal pronouns. This psalm instills David's confidence in God. David really believes this because he's experienced this with God. I mean, this isn't him waxing poetic, man. He's heard his voice. He's followed his lead. He's felt his care. And beneath all of this poetic words, there are these solid convictions. And the cool part is these convictions are learned through his life, living through the hard stuff, the valley experiences, keeping his eyes and heart dependent on God. So again, the practical stuff, how should we travel through the valley? How do we exist inside of life when it hurts? And how can we know God is closer than we think in times of crisis? Well, it may sound oversimplified, but basically we turn to God, as David did. We turn to his truth. We turn to his word. Does that seem oversimplified? I think not, because faith, trust, hope, perseverance, endurance, all of these things are things we need in a difficult time. And they are things that only grow over time, when we lean on the promises of God, the presence, the power, and the purpose of God. And they're all in his word. That's why we lean on that. If you find yourself in a very dark place right now, I don't want to minimize your pain or in some way add to your confusion. I know valleys aren't easy. But I also know that that pain, that trial... Our journey, it's never wasted. It's never for nothing. When James, in his book in the New Testament, in the first uh, chapter of James, he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Listen to the rest of the encouragement. He tells us why we can have joy about that. The verse goes on to say, it's because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then he says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Who doesn't want that? But do you hear the cost? Perseverance. There is God purpose in your struggle. Take heart. If your path is currently through a dark valley or you see one in your future, let's look at this passage a little closer. We're going to see what God wants to hear us, wants to tell us through this, through David. Show us what to do to make a difference, to give us better ability to endure in this hard stuff. First thing is God leads us through a valley. God leads us through a valley. It's in the first four verses of Psalm 23. David takes that gentle picture of a shepherd with his sheep. 
to describe the relationship that he has and we have as well with God. Everything makes sense in our understanding of a shepherd leading his flock, right? He's led his flock to green grass, calm waters. He's caring for them. Then we get to verse 4 and it's like, wait, that doesn't fit. The valley of the shadow of death. It's certainly conjuring up thoughts of something dangerous. Certainly a place that I wouldn't think you want to take a sheep. Some place of jeopardy unless, unless that shepherd is very attentive, very watchful, very protective. But even then, why would a sheep be going through such a place? I mean, this isn't because he's straight off in sin. That's not the point here. Because the the shepherd is pictured as going with the sheep, not snatching them back to the pasture he just came from. No, the reason the sheep is going through the valley is because the shepherd has led him there or her there. The connection between verses 3 and 4 confirm this. The path through the valley is also one of the paths of righteousness in which God leads The NIV version says, he guides me in the right paths. The ESV version says, paths of righteousness for his namesake, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Okay? So the shepherd's leading, and the shepherd has directed him there, and he has a purpose. But why would a good shepherd who's going to lay down his life for his sheep lead a sheep into a valley filled with danger and death threats? There's only one possible answer, to get that sheep to a different and better place. God cannot do evil. So in the midst of your problems, your conflict, your grief, your pain, your fear, your failure, God is at work. It's your shepherd. It's your shepherd who has appointed even this hard time as one of the paths of righteousness. He's leading you through this valley for reasons that probably won't be apparent. Not in the valley, maybe not outside the valley. But every valley is a pathway to something different and better. Again, clinging to God's word, Psalm 84.11 says, No good does the Lord withhold from those whose walk is upright. Or Paul put it, Romans 8.28, All things work together for good for those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. The valley isn't good. Most of the time, it's not a joyride. But the shepherd's good, and he's the one leading. He knows the way. So know this. God, Jesus, leads you through a valley. The second thing that I break down into three parts is God with us, which is what we're about to celebrate in Christmas. Emmanuel God with us. And David goes into three ways that he kept his mind stayed on the fact that God was with him. He tells us how he's fearless in adversity. He tells us that even in the valley of the shadow of death, he didn't dread the distress he was about to face or cringe in the face of crisis. And the question that I want to ask King David is, how do you fight fear when you don't know what's going on and what's coming up next? Your imagination is working overtime because we can conjure up a whole bunch of stuff that isn't really going on. How did David do it? He tells us with confidence three things. 
First off, verse 4, David says, it's an intentional staying in God's presence. Intentionally stay in God's presence. Verse 4, David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? You are with me. First, he speaks of God's nearness, his presence. When you step into your valley and it's so dark you can't even see the path or the possibility of what's out there, your shepherd has something he wants you to hear. I will be with you. This is the place where most of us make the mistake of looking for something else to be with us or to comfort us in this valley. Sex, food, drugs, alcohol, maybe a new job, some other substitute that you think is going to help you get through the valley when all you need is your shepherd. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6 says, He has said, referring to God, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The best way to stay in the presence of God is to talk to him in prayer. Listen to him through his spirit, his word. Claim his promises. They're there for that. There is no valley, no matter how dark, that you will go through alone. He will never leave you. Second thing David says here, in his presence there is power. In this psalm, David refers to the shepherd's rod and staff, and it doesn't really help us much in today's vernacular to talk about this because these items, you know, a stick doesn't seem that powerful, right? But we have to remember in the right hands, they can be dangerous. For instance, slingshot, giant, ring about. The whole idea here is the fact that These items picture the shepherd's power and he's wielding it against what seemed to be overpowering enemies. David said he had no fear in adversity because of the comfort of God's power protecting him. And you need not fear. 1 John 4.4. Do you know it? Greater is he that is in you, Jesus, than he that is in the world, Satan. This isn't in my notes, but I thought of it coming in. Right at the beginning of Psalm 23, it says, The Lord. Anytime you see the word Lord in all caps in the Old Testament, it's literally translated the God of angel armies. Do you hear the power in that? The God of angel armies. Do you remember when Peter cut off the ear of the servant in the Garden of Gethsemane? Jesus turns to him and says, put your sword away. This isn't the way it's going down. I could call down 12 legion of angels. There's power where God is, and he knows how to use it and use it well. The last thing here in David's explanation, experience God's leading and purpose. We're back to the tools of the shepherd. It says, your staff comforts me. We've seen it depicted in manger scenes and Christmas cards and movies, and it's basically he's referring to the shepherd's crook and its, you know, hook on the end, and it's used to guide the sheep. You know, this little gentle tap, tap from the staff, staff on the side of the sheep, and they get back into the fold. And if a sheep has fallen somewhere, he uses the hook to reach down, 
grab that sheep out of where it might have fallen. Well, David felt comforted that his shepherd was guarding his steps. But I think in a lot of cases, when you're going through a valley, we have to be thankful that, that, that our shepherd is correcting our steps. Because that's how we make it through the darkness safely, staying with him. We hear David is confident about his present circumstances, but also of God's grace in the future. Do you hear that? That, that hope that he will see what in the future? Surely, back to the verse, your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord, the God of the angel armies, forever. He believed that the valley was appointed for his good. He learned things about God that could only be learned in the valley. And all the, all the reason, and all because he could say, as we who know Jesus can say, the Lord is my shepherd. Oh, and that story about my wife and kids and me all picking up and taking off from Portland, Oregon to come to Paso, Robles. Well, we definitely had heard from God. It was the thing that we were to do. But approximately 14 months after that move, I still did not have a full-time job. Joni's real estate business was just beginning to move forward. And I remember those days very clearly, and I remember them as dark days. Some of the hardest on my faith, some of the hardest on my marriage, hard on my ego and my pride. One big thing God was working on, I had to lose my self-sufficiency. Ever been there? Had to learn my, my way around the fact that I was trusting in something or someone else. To come back to learn to trust on his name, to trust in God and God alone. During this valley experience, Jesus was faithful, though, to teach me once again to fix my eyes and my hope and my future on him, my good shepherd. Is he yours? To stick close to him. He wanted me to teach, he wanted to teach me to trust him when I couldn't see or figure out what was next. How about for you? He knows the way through the valley, and he will see you safely through. Again, claim his promises. Believe that he has good reasons for taking you this route, even though it's hard and unfamiliar. And hold on to the truth that there is something better on the other side of this valley. But here's a caution. Beware. This is where I did get tripped up and I still get tripped up. We have the tendency to throw ourselves off balance during hardship and trouble and dark valleys by allowing our feelings to rule our thoughts. You've heard them in your head. The ones going through my head is, I don't feel like God is near. I don't feel that God is leading me. I don't, even, I don't even think he hears my prayers. I don't feel like he's doing anything to help me. If your faith is built on what you feel or experience, when bad things happen, your faith will falter every time. 
2 Corinthians 5, 7 reminds us, we don't walk by what? Sight. Nor feelings. We live by faith in a God of the angel armies. Or do we? Maybe that's what this valley you're in right now is all about. Where do you place your trust? Turn of the century, Bible scholar and teacher Oswald Chambers wrote the great devotional, My Utmost for His Highest, says it this way. Do I trust it all in the flesh? Have I learned to go beyond all confidence in myself and other people of God? Do I trust in books? or other joys in my life? Or have I placed my confidence in God himself, not in his blessings? Genesis 17:1, I am almighty God, El Shaddai, the all-powerful God. Earlier, I mentioned James chapter one, verses two through four that reads, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. I wanna revisit that and I wanna pull it from a paraphrase uh, the Message Bible. I'm going to put it up on the screen because I want you to go through this so slowly with me because it's a great way of stating it or restating it. Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know, under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and it shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. Don't you want that? Perseverance. And it does come at a cost, but know this, faith in Jesus is not immune to trials. It's fueled and strengthened by what we learn through the trials. So back to my story. After being in the valley for some time, swallowing my pride and asking Jesus to wash me of all of that and to guide me. I started looking for a job back in the radio business where I had started my career some 20 years earlier and had basically walked away from. Well, it just so happened in the course of time that a Christian broadcast group in San Luis Obispo was building a new station and they needed someone to come in and help build it and run that station. And I was with that broadcast network for 15 years. He had something better. But here's the thing I didn't count on. Along the way, I also got involved with local churches, teaching, and getting involved in their marriage groups and parenting groups and ministering to them in that way. Thank you, Jesus. It's always something better. And now there's another valley coming. There always is. I'm not predicting the future. I'm just stating what it says. So be prepared. And don't miss the big picture of this message and this whole series. All of this only makes sense if you're able to say, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Little did David know that that shepherd, his God of the angel armies, would step out of heaven and enter our world as a baby, the God-man Jesus and Savior of the world, to lay down his life for all of us, his sheep. John 10, 11, Jesus prophesying his very own sacrificial death. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says, 
and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The reason you and I can walk through the valley of the shadow of death and fear no evil is because he is the one who walks with us. And Jesus is the good shepherd that loves us so much. He is going to lead us into hard times for the good of growing our relationship with him deeper and closer. Count on it. I'm so thankful he loves you and me that much. Would you let the valley experience fulfill God's promise to you? As you go through this valley, walk closely with him and you will experience his presence. You will experience, in fact, that power and in time, his purpose. Remember that when Paul tells us that all things work together for good, in Greek it says, from the beginning of time to the end of time, all things will work together for good for those who love the Lord. We may not see it on this side, but you can know it's coming. And Jesus always has a purpose for what you go through. Let this new beginning resulting from your valley experience be a renewed, more intimate, trusting relationship with him. I want us to prepare now for communion. As we're talking about valleys, I don't know where you are this morning, but I know that as we come to the communion table, we're doing it out of reverence and remembrance of what Jesus did for us. The first and most important thing is, do you know that Jesus is your good shepherd? Do you know him personally? This would be a time to invite him in. Give him your life. Let him guide you. For those to be sure that you're right with him. Maybe you've been really resisting this valley, shaking your fist. Let it go. And know that even though it's painful and it's hard, there's purpose. Trust him and ask him now to come into that situation fully. And there's always that part and piece of the puzzle when you're coming to the communion table. Check your heart and ask God to wash us clean from those things we may have brought here that don't belong here. Think on these things as we uh, take a moment for a quiet contemplation, and then we'll come back and do communion. The elements, by the way, just raise your hand. We'll get them to you.